Sunday mornings, we've been working our way, as many of you know, uh, through Paul's letter, New Testament letter to the church in Ephesus, letter of Ephesians. And we've been working through that kind of one section of verse, verses at a time. Um, and this morning, we're actually going to... Um, we're going to do something where we're going to skip a passage. Uh, last week we looked at chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Um, and the next section that comes is a famous section where Paul is addressing marriage. And we're going to actually come back to that passage at the end of our study of Ephesians. And we're going to look at that passage together about uh, four or five times as we talk about relationships and singleness and marriage and all kinds of different things. Um, so today we're skipping over it, and we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, which is the passage that's printed in your bulletin. Um, and uh, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. But let me say this just very briefly before we look at it. Um, in some very important ways, this passage that we're looking at this morning is a continuation of what we saw in chapter 5, if if you happen to be here last week, um, and it's namely this, that Paul is continuing to talk about how Jesus came to change everything about our lives. And, um, and this morning, we're going to talk about how Jesus transforms our relationships in our families um, and with our work. So that's where we are, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let me uh, find the passage myself, and I will read it. For us, then. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Um, One verse from Ephesians chapter 5 and then chapter 6, 1 through 9. Let's give our attention to God's word. Paul wrote, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, um, we do come and we ask for your help. Um, ask that uh, you would pour out your spirit in order that we might understand your word, um, in order that it might be applied to our hearts, in order that your spirit might um, reveal either for the first time or again our need of Jesus, and how all our needs have been met in his person and work. Um, Father, would you lead us there, we pray, um, in order that we might be changed by him 
and by the good news of his coming and living and dying and being raised from the dead for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, So I I don't know that I've ever done this before, but like I was saying just a moment ago before we read this passage, this passage is very connected to what we talked about last week. And so I am going to repeat myself up front here. Um, So it will be a benefit for you if you weren't here. Um, And if you were here, just listen again. Um, So last week we started by basically saying that Jesus was a revolutionary. Um, he, was, he, he was a, a self-aware revolutionary. Um, and so we talked about this passage where he says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours the new wine into new wineskins. And he, he does this in other places as well, but what he's really saying there in that metaphor is he's saying, I came to be a revolutionary. See, he's, he's claiming that if you try to conform him or contain him in the old systems, the old ceremonies, the old traditions, and all that stuff, if you try to do that, he is going to burst right through and destroy them. And it, we talked about this. It, revolutionaries, you see, they're not interested in making small changes, right? Revolutionaries aren't interested in the tweaking of a few policies here and there, right? Revolutionaries, they want to change everything. They want to turn everything upside down. They want to overthrow the old system. They they want a clean slate. They, They want to begin something that's entirely new. See, Jesus came into this world, and he took on flesh, He came and he lived the perfectly righteous life that you couldn't live in order that he could go to a cross and he could die for you the death you should have died. And then he rose triumphantly, conquering over the guilt and power of sin. And I'm telling you, he didn't do that just to tweak a few of your habits. He didn't do all of that just to make a nicer, cleaner version of you. He came to overthrow the old you, to overthrow the old self. Paul talks about this overthrowing of the old self in chapter 4 of Ephesians, if you want to look at it sometime. He came to make you a new creation. He came to transform everything about our lives, to transform every relationship of our lives, the way we relate to everything and the way we relate to everyone and so in a, few min- in a few weeks, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the transformation he brings to things like marriage, right? And even singleness. But this morning, we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, and nine, 1 through 9, how the gospel transforms relationships in our families and with our relationship to work. Um, so here's the very simple outline this morning. First... We're going to talk about transformed relationships generally. And then second, we're going to talk about transformed families. And then third, we're going to talk about transformed work. So transformed relationships, transformed families, and transformed work. So first, let's talk about transformed relationships. Um, One author wrote that chapter 5, verse 21, um, is, quote, a hinge verse 
to the entire following section. So it's a hinge. It's a hinge verse that's holding together uh, and connecting these two sections of Paul's letter to the Ephesians and to us this morning, which is why I read it at the beginning. Um, So give me just a few seconds here so I can show you how this hinge works. At the end of chapter 5, Paul was saying, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Right? He wrote, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit, Paul was saying there, brings us joy. Not by numbing us to reality or by deadening our senses, which is what happens when we drink too much. But the Spirit brings us joy, not by numbing us to reality, but by waking us up to reality. Right? By making us more aware of the wonder and beauty of Jesus and what he has accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. You might, you might even say it, it takes these, the Spirit takes these concepts and makes them real and concrete to us. We see Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead for me. And that's what brings us joy. It brings us joy by making us more aware of how forgiven and how free and how loved and how accepted and how absolutely delighted in we are by God through Jesus and what he's done for us. And Paul ended that thought about the Spirit and the joy he brings by saying this. Submitting to one another out of reverence with Christ. So the hinge is this. When you discover the reality of God's love for you in Jesus, that wonder not only fills you with joy, but the wonder of that transforms all your relationships. Because it sets you free to submit to others out of reverence for Christ. Paul was saying, look out. Because the gospel is going to affect everything in your life. It's going to get onto and into every relationship of yours. Which is why he immediately talks about marriage and family and work as his prime examples of this. A couple of weeks ago... Um, our family was lucky enough to get to go to the beach for a few days. And the beach is a beautiful place. Love it. It's refreshing to be, be able to get to go to the beach, whatever. I just got one gripe about it. And that's the sand. The sand that gets everywhere. It gets onto and into everything. Right? It gets in your hair and in your clothes, and it finds its way into every nook and cranny and place. And you can use your own imagination about that. It gets in your bed. You you know how it gets in the sunscreen, and the sunscreen becomes gritty? A week after coming back from the beach, I was in my office, and I put my feet up on my desk to read a book. And when I took my feet down, there was sand all over my desk. It just gets everywhere and into and onto everything. And I know I'm illustrating it negatively here, but 
I think you get where I'm going with this. Jesus was a revolutionary. He came to change everything, and gospel freedom is meant to get onto and into every relationship of our lives. Let me say one more thing before we move on. Um, and con- before we move on and consider specifically how the gospel gets into our relationships with our family and work. Um, and it's this. The gospel announcement and declaration of God's love for you in Jesus, his forgiveness of your sins, the atoning sacrifice on your behalf in the person and work of Jesus, that is the best news ever, right? But this incredible news, the Bible is saying it is not safe and it is not tame because its aim is radical transformation of your whole life, inside and out, and every relationship. It's the the gospel... it's the best news ever, and it spells the end of compartmentalization in your life. You, you know what I'm saying? When we say, this is my religious life, but this is my family life, these are my relationships at church, but this is my relationships with people at work, and so the gospel ends all of that. The gospel is like sand that gets into and onto every relationship. God is after changing you and making you new. In any and every relationship that you have in your life, it needs to be different because of the gospel. All right, so let's talk about second families, uh, which for this we're going to look primarily at verses 1 through 4. And I want to start with what Paul says to parents in verse 4. Okay, In verse 4, Paul wrote, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, I'm going to come back to Paul's use of the word fathers later here. But for now, I think he's using the word fathers representatively. In other words, he's speaking to parents of children, moms and dads. And in the Roman culture that Paul was writing into, children were thought of as property belonging to fathers and mothers. I mean, children had far less rights in this culture than the slaves or the bondservants, which we're going to talk about in the next little section. Fathers were free to do whatever they wanted with their children, including inflicting the death penalty upon their children. And we could say so much about this, um, but I mainly want you to understand that the Roman world was not kind to children. And Paul is writing into this context and into that culture when he says, basically, look how the gospel should be transforming the way parents treat their children. Right? Negatively, he says, don't provoke your children to anger, which any parent can do, either by over-discipline or under-discipline. By over-disciplining their children, by demanding things of your children that are beyond their capacity and beyond what's reasonable. It's a good way to provoke anger in your children. By constant fault-finding in your children, by condemning and belittling them, by any kind of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional 
verbal, psychological, by shaming and guilt manipulation. But we can also do this by under-disciplining our children and provoke them to anger by neglecting them and and avoiding any real deep connection and involvement in their lives by spoiling them. You can turn them angry, right, by failing to correct them and not preparing them for a world that doesn't revolve around them, by abdicating responsibility, right? Paul wrote, fathers bring your children up. The job isn't to be handed over to someone else, whether that be to the education system or to the church or whatever. Parents, your child's upbringing is your responsibility, You can provoke your children to anger by under-disciplining them and never correcting them or never contradicting them. There's a lot of other things, but that's just to give you a taste of a few things. See, the gospel transforms families and parenting by enabling and freeing you to parent with a unique balance. Right? Parents are to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your children, Paul was saying, need balance. You know what your children need from you? They need firmness and they need love. They need boundaries and they need gentleness from you. Right? They need discipline and they need encouragement. They need truth and they need grace. Right? Here's what happens in parenting. If you fear disapproval from your children, you will tend to under-discipline them. And that will end up hurting them. But if you're angry, if you're an angry person, and you're trying to control your kids, you'll over-discipline, and that's going to hurt them too. So listen, if in the gospel you already are assured of God's love for you, and you are entirely secure by his grace, that creates a real freedom in your life. A freedom to parent your children with humble confidence, not needing to control your children, and not needing too much from your children in the way of approval. The gospel comes in and transforms it. All right, I wish I could do more, but we got to move on um, to how Paul addressed children. He wrote, children are to obey the Lord and to honor Obey in the Lord and honor their parents. And the two reasons he gives here are that it's right, which is basically an appeal to what we see in nature. And then he mentioned honoring your father and mother, the first commandment with the principle that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life. So the natural consequence of learning to honor and live under authority is that life will basically go better for you if you learn that as a child and carry it with you. In adulthood, you will be safe if you learn how to do that. You'll be safe physically and psychologically and emotionally um, and spiritually. All kinds of ways. We, we could do a lot more. There's a lot packed in these verses. So let me just at least deal with the spiritual benefit. Paul brought up the commandment to honor your father and your mother. Now, remember this, mate. Jesus himself said, this is a summary and I'm, I'm even paraphrasing, paraphrasing Jesus a little bit, but a summary of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. Now, 
for centuries, Christians have said that the first four commandments tell us how to love God. Right? Have no other gods. Don't worship images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain and honor the Sabbath. We've said that for centuries. But historically, the Jewish view has always been that the first five commandments, not four, tell us how to love God. And guess what the fifth commandment is? Honor your father and your mother. If you read about the law in Exodus, you'll see something interesting. You'll see in Exodus that the death penalty was reserved for people who did things like worship false gods and for anyone who cursed or struck his or her parents. Seems pretty harsh to us. But here's the reason the Jewish people saw that the fifth commandment was connected to how we love God. Because if you can't learn to honor your parents, then neither can you honor the God who gave you those parents. The gospel should be changing you, Paul is saying, freeing you to submit to and to honor authority, not abuse it. Of of course this is speaking to children who still live with their fathers and mothers. But that's not all it's dealing with. Because even adults have parents too, right? And some of us in this room are in our 30s or 40s or 50s or even 60s. And we're still holding on to bitter disappointment in our parents. Or we're still trying to earn our parents' approval. Or we're refusing to respect them and honor them. It's the gospel that comes in and transforms families. Because only when you know that you are loved and you are adored and you are accepted and you are forgiven, do you find that you are free from needing your parents' approval? Or needing too much to hear their apologies for all the ways they wronged you. You're free to submit out of reverence for Christ and honor them. Real quick, and then we've got to get to the last point. But I've noticed that whenever whenever we're going to have guests in our home, my wife Jennifer, she very often lights these candles in our, in our house. Um, there are these candles that smell all sweet and fragranty and perfumey. Uh, those are probably not real words. But I'll sometimes come home and I'll walk in the door and immediately this fragrance hits me. And there's such a correlation. It's so one plus one equals two for me that I'll just say, I'll walk in the door, I'll smell those candles, and I'll say, who's coming over tonight? Um, somebody must be coming over because I smell this. And I don't want to press it too hard, but Paul talks about our lives, the lives of Christians, being a fragrant aroma in his letter to the Corinthians. And I'm just bringing it up here to try to give you an image for a moment before we get to the last point. And it's this. We light those candles because we know that fragrance, once it starts to go, is going to spread out And it's going to dissipate and it's going to work its way through the entire house. And Paul was was writing to say the gospel should be transforming every relationship in the family. The gospel should be filling our homes with a sweet fragrance. So much so that someone 
could come over to your house, open the door, and hear the way you talk with one another, and see the way you treat one another, and say to themselves, it's like Jesus has been here. Right? A fragrant aroma. The gospel changing and transforming everything about our relationships. All right, last, let's turn to talk about how the gospel transforms work. Okay, this is verses 5 through 9. Um, and and i got to take just a couple of seconds here to recalibrate our thinking a little bit. When we read slaves or bondservants and masters, it's virtually impossible for us to hear that and not to have some kind of mental picture of American slavery. Because of that, that's who we are. And because that is a part of our shameful past and heritage and baggage. However, Paul, the slavery Paul was speaking to, and this is where we need to recalibrate ourselves a little bit, it, it was so different from what we think of when we think of American slavery. It would be far better for us to think of employer and employee relationships, which is why I'm talking about work. Um, so it's estimated that at the time Paul wrote this letter in the Roman Empire, there were about 60 million slaves. And that is about a third to a half of the known population at the time, um, it, depending on who you read. The slavery wasn't based on race, and it wasn't for a lifetime. Um, normally, slaves could expect to be released by age 30. In fact, slaves were re- released so often that one of the Caesars uh, had, to, um, had to issue an edict to restrict uh, that, that release uh, from slavery to curb the trend. But being a slave wasn't a matter of belonging to a different social class in this culture. As a slave, you had the same social class as your master. You couldn't possibly distinguish a slave by appearance from his master. People often sold themse- themselves into slavery for job security um, or, or to try to secure uh, status as a Roman citizen. Slaves owned property. They owned even other slaves. Their jobs ranged from custodial type work, which is probably what you typically think of about bond servant or slave, to salesmen, to doctors, to basically being CEOs of companies. It's a, all this say is a different system. And I'm not trying to make the argument that it was a good system either. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't hear that. But it was at least very, very different from American slavery. And if I had more time, let me just whet your appetite about something. We could talk in detail about how Christianity um, really was the cause behind the top, toppling of the system of slavery because the gospel, in fact, in keeping with what we're saying this morning, it does transform every relationship. That's why you will find Christianity at the root of all these movements to end slavery. But even here in this letter, it's very subtle, it's very subversive, but Paul was the first person known to have ever written directly to slaves. I, I, I mean, others had written to masters about a need to treat their slaves kindly, but no one in this culture would have ever thought of writing and speaking directly to slaves. But, but that's what the gospel does. It transforms relationships And it treats people with dignity and respect and kindness and love. Anyway, all that added to a momentum that eventually toppled slavery. But that's a little, that's an aside. All right. Um, 
We need to think more along the terms of, along the lines of employer and employee. Uh, so let me let you notice a few things about these verses and how the gospel transforms our work. Paul was saying in this passage, no matter what your job is as a bond servant, whether that be a stable boy or a CEO or a grocer or a lawyer or a farmer or a doctor, whatever, Paul was saying, you are now working for a new boss. Right? And his name is Jesus, and he is the king of kings. He is the maker and sustainer of all things. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, and he is the lover and redeemer of your soul. Bond servants, Paul wrote in verse 5, obey your earthly masters, middle of verse 6, as bond servants of Christ. This is very important to understand and trans- transformative. Paul is saying, you need to learn how to look through your earthly boss to your real boss, who is Jesus. Right? No matter what you do, he is saying your job is a calling from Jesus. No matter what you do. So listen, if you're a banker, if you're a lawyer, if you sell insurance, if you're a stay-at-home mom, that is your calling from Jesus. So if you're a banker, how are you caring for that corner of God's world? How are you bringing order to chaos and being just and equitable with your calling? How are you stewarding God's gifts and God's resources in that vocation? If you're a lawyer, how are you working for justice in a broken world, upholding order and good laws that keep all of us safe? If you're a stay-at-home mom, that's your corner of God's world where he has called you to work. And I, I've mentioned this before. I, I was a biology major. I took microbiology. And if no one cleans the house, people will die. Um, stuff grows. Um, your job, no matter what it has, what it is, has meaning in God's economy. You serve a God who is re- at work redeeming all things. And in your corner of the world, Paul is saying, you have an opportunity to participate in that renewal and restoration of God's world because your job is not just a job, it's a calling from God. And you work for Jesus. And if that's true and all work is a calling, then everyone from the grocer to the custodian to the dry cleaner should be treated with dignity and respect. Because, because God is meeting all our needs, and he is giving life, and he is bringing order to chaos through all of our various callings, no matter what they are. I also want you to get a taste of the freedom that comes through gospel transformation of our work. Notice verse 6 here. We are to work, Paul says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Right? It, For many of us, whether we're lawyers or salesmen or artists or doctors or stay-at-home moms or preachers, it is so easy for all of us that our work would become an idol, something that we worship, something that we use in our lives to measure our value, to measure our worth, and to measure our importance. And when that happens... When you've fallen into that, we become overly sensitive and defensive to any 
and every criticism, we, are so, we become so afraid of failing, right, of being disapproved of. Or if that doesn't happen, we become overly needy of affirmation and pats on the back and approval from coworkers and employers and, and those kind of things. But when it's through the gospel, when it's through the person and work of Jesus that you find your worth and your significance and your importance and your value and your identity and all that kind of stuff, you become free. And you're free to go about your work. And you're free to hear criticism without being too defensive because this job is a calling, not your identity. You're free to work hard, to sweat and toil and participate in God's renewing, restorative work without needing too much affirmation or pats on the back. And then very briefly, going quick through this, I love how Paul says in verse 9, masters, um, or we say employers, do the same to them. Because there are people in this room that have people that work for them, right? And he's saying, take this same gospel into your heart and let it transform the way you treat people you work with. What does he say? Stop threatening them. Stop manipulating them. Stop trying to scare them, right? The gospel should be causing you to treat everyone as a someone, to treat people with dignity and respect and kindness and with sincerity, all the things that he's talking about here, should be causing you to treat people like people, like they count and like they matter. Okay, I'm, I'm bringing this to somewhat abrupt ending here. The challenge of handling these verses, I think as you will uh, testify to even in my preaching of it this morning, is there's so many ways you can run with application, right? Application for how we relate in families and work is huge. But I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees here as we end. The reason we're talking about any of this is because Paul saw that the gospel gets into and onto every relationship of our lives and brings about this deep change, this transformation. So I want to end by pointing just one last thing out. Back in verse 4, Paul used the word fathers. And I said, I think he's using the term there, representatively, to refer to moms and dads. But I don't think that's all Paul was doing. I've mentioned this before, but Ephesians is a letter. And if you get a letter in the mail, I don't know if anybody gets letters in the mail anymore. But you don't don't just read a couple sentences and then put it down and say, oh, read the rest of that next week. Um, You read the whole thing from beginning to end in one sitting. And if you did that with the book of Ephesians, you would see that the word father is all throughout the book of Ephesians. Everywhere. Just a couple of samples. It's in Ephesians 1, verses 2 and 3. It's basically how he began the letter. It's in chapter 1, verse 17, 2, 18, 3, 14, 4, 6, 5, 20. And every time, every time that word comes up, fathers, he's describing the believer's relationship to God. There's even a pretty big section itself in chapter 4 with a whole theme of believers as children and God as fathers. And here's the point. Even as Paul is telling us what to do, how to treat one another, how to relate to one another, he wants us to be thinking about how God has acted towards us, about how God has treated us, about how God relates to us. God became our father 
by sending his only begotten son to live and die and be raised from the dead for us in order that we could be called children of God. And he's saying, is this good news that transforms every relationship of your life? So I'm going to leave you with one final image. you got the candles in one section, but this is a different image. Um, I've shared this story with you before, um, so I'll do it briefly here. So long story short, this friend of mine told me about this time that he was in Walmart and he saw this kid freaking out, crying, panicked. He got separated from his mother, a little three-year-old kid in the store, and just crying, face beat red, screaming as loud as he could. And my friend is standing there wondering what he's supposed to do in this situation. And as he's doing that, this mother comes around the end of the aisle. She scoops up this screaming three-year-old into her arms. And immediately, the child is calm. And this is why my my friend told me about it. Because I remember him telling me how amazed he was at the transformation. And how fast the transformation happened. How that child went from sheer panic, from crying and screaming to being afraid. He said within 30 seconds that child was fast asleep in his mother's arms. It is by coming home to the Father's embrace, by resting and enjoying what he has accomplished for you, to welcome you in. It's as that, Paul says, as that becomes more real to you, and you become aware of what God has done to you. He said it's like sand. And it can't help but affect and get onto and into every relationship you have and to transfer it. Because finally at long last, you're where you were made to be. In your father's arms and now you are free to change because of the good news of Jesus. All right, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have given to us your word as a light. And we thank you for how you use your spirit um, to cast the light upon Jesus and to bring us to him every time we open your word. So, Father, we pray that you would make what Jesus has done for us more real to us in order that we might lean into and embrace our freedom and that we might experience the deep joy that comes from knowing that we are loved by you. And, Father, we pray that that would change our lives and that it would change every relationship uh, for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.